Our Old Testament passage today picks up in 2 Kings chapter 19, verse 14. Hezekiah received the letter. Now, this is a letter of demand from this guy who's attacking. Received the letter from the hand of the messengers and read it. And Hezekiah went up to the house of the Lord and spread it out before the Lord. I call this yellow pad prayer. Now, beloved, some of you have gotten some ugly bills. You've gotten foreclosure notices. You've gotten disconnection notices. You've gotten you're being laid off notices. Sometimes you have to take all of that bad news and come to God's house and lay it out before the Lord. Now notice, he did two things. Some of you have so many bills, forgive me, it would take two or three pages of yellow pads to fill up. But can I encourage you to do this? I mean, th this is something I've done almost for as long as I can remember as a Christian. Bring all the bad news. Bring the documents. And come to the house of God. The church is open all the time. You know that. And if, if for some reason there's a door locked, just ask a security guard and he'll open it. And just come and go down to the altar and lay it before the Lord. Come to the house of the Lord and lay it before the Lord at the altar. Spread it before the Lord and then begin to pray. And Hezekiah prayed before the Lord and said, O Lord God of Israel, enthroned above the cherubim, you are the God, you alone of all the kingdoms of the earth. You have made heaven and earth. You're the creator. Now, now brothers and sisters, from Genesis to Revelation, you need to start making a list of why it is important God is the creator. You need to start making a list of this. Because you're going to find that one of the doctrines that the devil wants to drive out of people from the day they start preschool is God as creator. And when you begin to understand how important it is that you believe that he's the creator, he's the, we don't exist by evolution. God created us. So he prays before the Lord and he begins to worship him. So here he starts with worship. And notice, this is out loud prayer. I mean, people want to say out loud prayer is wrong, but you know what? All the prayer you find in the Bible is out loud. In fact, many scholars believe that that prayer that Jesus prayed that we call the high priestly prayer in John, he actually prayed that after they left the upper room and as they were walking to the Garden of Gethsemane, that as he walked as a group, they walked and prayed. And he prayed that prayer as they walked to the Garden of Gethsemane. How would they know what he prayed? It was out loud. Here comes the request now. I'm spending too much time preaching and not enough time reading. Incline your ear, O Lord, and hear. Open your eyes, O Lord, and see. Hear the words of Sennacherib, which he has sent to mock the living God. Truly, O Lord, the king of Assyria have laid waste the nations and their lands and have cast their gods into the fire, for they are not gods, but the work of men's hands, wood and stone. Therefore they were destroyed. So now, O Lord our God, save us, please. <laughs> he says, <laughs> never forget your please. <laughs> I can remember my grandma Butler. David, don't forget your please. 
<laughs> Just as a little boy. David, don't forget your please. When you pray, don't forget your please. Remember your place. He is God, and we are the work of his hands. Save us, please, from his hand, that all the kingdoms of the earth may know that you, O Lord, are God alone. So he said, we're praying this, Lord, for your glory. Then Isaiah, the son of Amos, sent to Hezekiah, saying, Thus says the Lord, the God of Israel, Your prayer to me about Sennacherib, king of Assyria, I have heard. And this is the word that the Lord has spoken concerning him. She despises you. She scorns you, the virgin daughter of Zion. She wags her head behind you, the daughter of Jerusalem. Whom have you mocked and reviled? Against whom have you raised your voice and lifted your eyes to the heights? Against the Holy One of Israel. By your messengers you have mocked the Lord. You have said, with my many chariots, I have gone up the heights of the mountains to the far recesses of Lebanon. I felled its tallest cedars, its choicest cypresses, and I entered its farthest lodging place, its most fruitful forest. I dug wells and drank foreign waters, and I dried up with the sole of my foot all the streams of Egypt. Have you not heard that I determined it long ago? I planned it from the days of old, what I now I will bring to pass, that you should turn fortified cities into heaps of ruins, while their inhabitants, shorn of strength, are dismayed and confounded, and it become like plants of the field and like tender grass, like grass on the housetops blighted before it's grown. But I know you're sitting down, you're going out and you're coming in, and you're raging against me, God knows." See, this is one of the things I'm going to begin to teach you in a few weeks on, the, 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 the demonic doctrine of cynicism. God doesn't know, but God does know. God said, but I know. He said, because you have raged against me, verse 28, and your complacency has come into my ears, I will put my hook in your nose and my bit in your mouth, and I will turn you back on the way by which you came. And this shall be a sign to you. This year, eat what grows of itself, and in the second year, what springs from the same. Then in the third year, sow and reap and plant vineyards and eat their fruit. And the surviving remnant, ah, there's that beautiful truth about the remnant. That's always a list for me, all right? This is one of those lists we make. And the surviving remnant of the house of Judah shall take root downward and bear fruit upward. Life always bears fruit. Where there's life, you go deeper in God, and where there's life, you bear fruit. This is the proof of life. If there's no fruit, there is no life. For out of Jerusalem shall go a remnant, and out of Mount Zion a band of survivors. The zeal of the Lord will do this. Ah, God's zeal. That's another great list. Therefore, thus says the Lord concerning the king of Assyria, he shall not come into the city or shoot an arrow there, or come before it with a shield, or cast up a siege mount against it. By the way he came, by the same way he shall return, and he shall not come into this city, declares the Lord. I will defend this city to save it for my own sake and for the sake of my servant David. Why God saved Jerusalem, for the sake of my servant David, hundreds of years after his death, God is still doing things 
for David. Wow. Just, oh, I want a heart like that. I want to so live my life that for generations after I go to heaven, if Jesus tarries, God is still blessing my family. God is still blessing Cathedral of Praise for the sake of my servant David. I love that. This is spiritual legacy, okay? This is, this is spiritual legacy. And that night the angel of the Lord went out and struck down 185,000 in the camp of the Assyrians. And when people arose early in the morning, behold, all these were dead bodies. Can you imagine? Almost 200,000 people dying in one night. Then Sennacherib, king of Assyria, departed and went home and lived in Nineveh. And as he was worshiping in the house of Nishrash his god, Adrimelech and Sharzer his sons struck him down with a sword and escaped into the land of Arat. And Isher Hadadon his son reigned in his place. You know, this is the price of arrogance before God. This is the price of arrogance before God. Chapter 20, verse 1. In those days Hezekiah became sick and was at the point of death. And Isaiah the prophet, the son of Amos, came to him and said, Thus says the Lord, Set your house in order, for you shall die, you shall not recover. Then Hezekiah turned his face to the wall and prayed to the Lord, saying, Now, O Lord, please remember how I have walked before you in faithfulness and with a whole heart, and have done what is right in your sight. And Hezekiah wept bitterly. And before Isaiah had gone out of the middle court, the word of the Lord came to him. Turn back and say to Hezekiah, the leader of my people, Thus says the Lord, the God of David, your father, I have heard your prayer. I have seen your tears. Behold, I will heal you, and on the third day you shall go up to the house of the Lord. Now, oh, I'll just finish this. And I will add 15 years to your life, and I will deliver you and this city out of the hand of the king of Assyria. And I will defend this city for my own sake and for my servant David's sake. Now, again, we're coming back to the same thing here again. Now, just, just stop here for just a second. And I want you to notice a man who had a tender heart. A tender heart got healed. A tender heart got healed. And a tender heart got 15 years added to his life. And all he prayed was, please remember how I have walked before you in faithfulness with my whole heart and done what is right in your eyes and wept bitterly. God extended his life by 15 years. But here's something I want you to see. He said, on the third day, you should go up to the house of the Lord. This is your response to healing. Now, when God heals you, you need to go to God's house and give thanks. Whenever God gives you a miracle, you're in the hospital and God heals you, you're home and God heals you. As soon as you're able, you need to go to the house of God, even if there's no services. You need to go to the house of God, come to his altar, kneel before him, and give thanks. Because a miracle is a miracle is a miracle. 
And Isaiah said, bring a cake of figs and let them take them and lay it on the boil that he may recover. Wow, so this was, this was a huge boil infection. So notice, natural remedy, part of the healing. Put a cake of figs on the boil. Now, if anybody's ever had a boil, and especially if it's a huge one, you know that infection is raging in your body. And God used a cake of figs to draw that boil out, draw that infection out. And Hezekiah said to Isaiah, What shall be the sign that the Lord will heal me, that I shall go up to the house of the Lord on the third day? And Isaiah said, This shall be the sign to you from the Lord, that the Lord will do the thing he promised. Shall the shadow go forward ten steps or back ten steps? And Hezekiah answered, It's an easy thing for the shadow to lengthen ten steps. Rather, let the shadow go back ten steps. And Isaiah the prophet called to the Lord, and he brought the shadow back ten steps by which it had gone down on the steps of Ahaz. At this time, Merodach Baladan, the son of Baladan, king of Babylon, sent envoys with letters and a present to Hezekiah. For he heard that Hezekiah had been sick. And Hezekiah welcomed them and showed them all his treasure house, the silver, the gold, the spices, the precious oil, his armory, all that was in his storehouses. There, there was nothing in his house or all his realm that Hezekiah did not show them. Everybody say bragging. Okay. Then Isaiah the prophet came to Hezekiah and said, What did these men say, and from where did they come? And Hezekiah said, They come from a far country, from Babylon. And he said, What have they seen in your house? Hezekiah answered, They've seen all that is in my house. There's, there's nothing in my storehouses that I did not show them. Then Isaiah said to Hezekiah, Hear the word of the Lord. Behold, the days are coming when all that is in your house that your fathers have stored up till this day shall be carried to Babylon. Nothing shall be left, says the Lord. And some of your own sons who will come from you, whom you will father, shall be taken away, and they shall be eunuchs in the palace of the king of Babylon. Then Hezekiah said to Isaiah, The word that you have spoken is good, for he thought, Why not if there would be peace and security in my days? A little selfish here, all right? A little selfish. The rest of the deeds of Hezekiah and all his might and how he made the pool and the conduit that brought water into the city. Are they not written in the book of the Chronicles of the kings of Judah? And Hezekiah slept with his fathers, and Manasseh his son reigned in his place. Now, now brothers and sisters, never show off. You know, as businessmen, you don't need to tell everybody how wealthy you are. You know, in, in my family, we were always taught to never display wealth. I know there's a new generation that comes along and you, you want to wear everything that you're worth, okay? But when you start showing off, you're going to lose it. Learn that what God has given you is not necessarily public knowledge. Learn that, you know, what God has blessed you with is not necessarily something that you should be bragging about and showing off about. Because all it does is invite danger. And later... Babylon saw a lot of riches that they could get, and so they came to attack the riches. You know, I, I met an old Chinese businessman many years ago, and he, he liked this verse a lot. This is maybe 30, 40 years ago now, maybe 40, almost 40 years ago. And he talked about this passage a lot, and he said, you know, I never let people see what I'm really worth. He said, 
Because when people see how well your business is, they want to do your business and compete with you. He said, so when people ask me if my business is good, I always say it could be better. But I said, it's okay, but could be better. He said, I don't ever brag. He said, because when you brag, people come to compete and take away what you have. I thought, you know what? That was a very wise businessman. All right, let's open up our hearts and spend some time in worship.
Our New Testament passage today picks up in Acts chapter 19, beginning with verse 11. And God was doing extraordinary miracles by the hands of Paul. Now notice, Paul was the tool. There are times that God chooses to use one person as a tool. And, and that anointing, forgive me, is not contagious. That anointing is not going to flow from Paul to get under somebody else. This is God in his sovereign power saying, I want to use that person in this way at that time. So this is Paul was the tool. So it is person specific. Let's just, let's just see that this is person specific. And this is season-specific. God didn't always do things like this with Paul. This was person-specific and season-specific. These were, This was a time for extraordinary miracles. And this is in the city of Ephesus. Now, this is in the Great Revival. The Great Two-Year Revival that swept all of what was then called Asia. Now, it wasn't like this all the time. It wasn't like this in Corinth. It wasn't like this in, in Lystra and Derbele and Thessalonica and, you know, Berea. It, but this was in Ephesus during a two-year tremendous revival. It's number one, person-specific, and number two, season-specific. So that even handkerchiefs or aprons that had touched his skin were carried away to the sick, and their diseases left them, and the evil spirits came out of them. So there is a transference of an anointing onto physical cloth. Now, you know, you, you look at this, handkerchiefs, aprons. If it touched his skin, there was a physical transference of that anointing. Now, we don't see that all the time. We, we don't see Paul passing out you know, prayer cloths all the time, or, or Lord help us, selling them online to people. I've prayed over this prayer cloth. You send me your donation and I will give you. No, we, we don't see Paul doing this. But there are seasons of a special anointing, an extraordinary season of miracles in which that anointing will flow from a specific person to a piece of cloth. And then miracles happen. Now, don't you wish it happened like that all the time? But it doesn't. Then some of the itinerant Jewish exorcists who undertook the invoke to invoke the name of the Lord Jesus over those who had evil spirits by saying, I adjure you by the Jesus whom Paul proclaims. Okay, <laughs> They want to use the name without the relationship. You know, forgive me, the power does not come in the speaking of the name. The power comes from the relationship that you have with Jesus, all right? So the source of power is not the name spoken. It is the relationship with Jesus. Seven sons of the Jewish high priest named Siva were doing this. But the evil spirits entered them. Jesus, I know... And Paul, I recognize. Now, these are two different words. These are two different words in the Greek. This first one means to know by experience. <laughs> yeah. 
Yeah, the evil spirit knew Jesus by experience. He took away his weapons. He disarmed at the cross. But now the Greek word here for Paul, I recognize, it means to, to know by, by hearsay, to, to, to have a passing knowledge of. But I think it's fascinating that, that this demon had heard about Paul. So this just this means to uh, hurt. You, you heard about, all right? You've heard about. But isn't it interesting? Uh, have you ever thought about this? Demons talk about great men of God. <laughs> because they're always trying to bring them down. And the man in whom the evil spirit leaped on them, mastered all of them, overpowered them so that they fled out of the house naked and wounded. So one man with demon power beat up seven other men. So demonic possession, demons speak and impart physical strength. And this became known to all the residents of Ephesus, both Jews and Greeks. And fear fell upon them. This word better translated, awe. Awe fell upon them. And the name of the Lord was extolled. And notice, not awe, not for Paul, but for the name. And many of those who were now believers came confessing and divulging their practices. And a number of those who had practiced magic arts brought their books together and burned them in the sight of all, and they counted the value of them. It came to 50,000 pieces of silver. So the word of the Lord continued to increase and prevail mightily. How? How did this happen? Well, believers cleaned up and repented. No more compromise. How does the word of the Lord spread? When the believers stop the compromise. When believers stop the sin. That's just, that's just a fascinating study, all right? That's just a fascinating study. Now, after these events, Paul resolved in the spirit to pass through Macedonia and Achaia and to go to Jerusalem. This is with the last great offering talked about in Romans 15 and 1 Corinthians 8 and 9. He said, I'm going to pass through Macedonia and Achaia and go to Jerusalem. After I have been there, I must, go, I must also see Rome. And having sent into Macedonia, now remember Macedonia would be Philippi, Thessalonica, Berea, okay? And having sent into Macedonia two of his helpers, Timothy and Aristus, he himself stayed in Asia for a while. About that time, there arose no little disturbance concerning the way. This is the Jewish name of believers. This is the Jewish name of the church, people of the way, because Jesus is the way. It's all about access, all right? This is all about access to God. 
For a man named Demetrius, a silversmith who made silver shrines of Artemis, brought no little business to the craftsmen. These he gathered together with the workmen in similar trades and said, Men, you know that from this business we have our wealth. And you hear that not only in Ephesus, but in almost all of Asia, Paul is persuaded and turned a great many people away, saying, The gods made with hands are not gods. And there is a danger. So this is the effect of revival. The, the two-year revival in Asia, the two-year revival destroyed demon idol worship. And there is a danger not only that this trade of ours may come into disrepute, but also that the temple of the great goddess Artemis may be counted as nothing, and she may even be disposed from her magnificence, she whom all of Asia and the world worships. All right, now, her temple was the tourism of Ephesus. This has brought a lot of business. So all of this is about, this whole thing is about business, okay? This whole thing is about business, making money. Revival destroys the sin industry. <laughs> revival destroys the sin industry. I, I love reading the old books on revival. And you hear how the beer joints were closed down. You hear how the prostitution houses were closed. And not because anybody passed a law. Because nobody went there anymore. I dream of a day, if Jesus tarries, that the power of revival will so sweep across our city that all the clubs will be closed. That nobody will be drinking alcohol. That the the alcohol industry will be crying out against the church because they'll say we've destroyed their business. That there'll be no shabu being sold. There'll be no prostitution. That all of the sin industry will be destroyed by a move of God. Now, if you want to know the things I like to dream about, that's what I like to dream about. We've seen beautiful outpourings of the Holy Spirit, but, but never... Never revival like this. This is what my heart cries out for. Oh, that the people would just be so touched. That the move of God would be so strong in our city. That the sin industries, every sin industry, starts to squeal like a stuck pig because nobody's participating anymore. And when they heard this, they were enraged and were crying out, Great is Artemis of the Ephesians. All right, so we hit emotions. Emotions used to cover true motive. Now, what is the true motive of all of this? It's business. It's money. So they stir up everybody's emotions to, to camouflage that this is really just about making money. You'll always find that with people. So the city was filled with confusion, and they rushed together into the theater, dragging with them Gaius and Aristarchus, Macedonians who were Paul's companions in travel. But when Paul wished to go in among the crowd, the disciples would not let him. And even some of the Aristarchus, who were friends of his, people who were from Asia, sent to him and were urging him not to venture into the theater. 
But see, Paul, Paul's heart is seen here. He never hides behind the members. He said, you know what? I'm the pastor. I'm the shepherd. No people power with Paul. Now some cried out one thing, but some another, for the assembly was a confusion. And most of them did not know why they had come together. This is a truth about mobs, okay? A truth about mobs is ignorance. Why are you here? I don't know. Just big crowd. Looks like fun. They didn't even know why they were there. Some of the crowd prompted Alexander, whom the Jews had put forward, and Alexander, motioning with his hand, wanted to make a defense to the crowd. But when they recognized that he was a Jew, for about two hours they cried out in one voice, Great is Artemis of the Ephesians. Now when the town clerk had quieted the crowd, he said, Men of Ephesus, who is there who does not know that the city of the Ephesians is the temple keeper of the great Artemis and of the sacred stone that fell from the sky? So probably they worshipped a meteor, all right? This is a meteor. Seeing then that these things cannot be denied, you ought to be quiet and do nothing rash. For you have brought these men who were neither sacrilegious nor blasphemers of our goddess. Ah, now notice, Paul and the church never spoke against the demon temples. <laughs> now, you know what? Some of these spiritual warfare people need to get a hold of that. You see, a demon temple is nothing. So why do you waste your time talking about it? Preach Jesus. Paul, they just preach Jesus. So they could not say that Paul and the people in the church had, had attacked their demon god. Because, forgive me, the demon god is nothing, so Paul ignored them. <laughs> You're gonna. I, I, I like Paul. He, he understood. I'm the temple of God. That over there is nothing. So why do I make a big deal of it? Why do I want to keep talking about that foolishness? I'm going to preach Jesus. You, you need to get a hold of that truth, brothers and sisters. If therefore Demetrius, verse 38, and the craftsmen with him have a complaint against anyone, the courts are open and there are proconsuls. Let them bring charges against one another. But if you seek anything further, it shall be settled in the regular assembly. For we are really in danger of being charged with rioting today, since there is no cause that we can give to justify this commotion. Now you have to understand, the Romans would penalize the city. And this city official understood this, that this is wrong, and the Romans are not going to tolerate this. See, the Romans allowed most of these cities to run themselves and did not get involved in their business, just like they pretty much let the Jews run their own business in Jerusalem. In every one of their conquered areas, they pretty much let the local people run themselves. But now, when you start to get into a, a riot, then the local city officials would be removed and the military would take over. And when he had said these things, he dismissed the assembly. All right, a little bit of wisdom today as we close out. Proverbs chapter 13, 31, beginning with verse 15, talking about the virtuous woman. She rises while it is night and provides food for her household and portions for her maidens, 
All right, so here's a woman who is an early riser to make sure the family is fed, family's needs are met. She considers a field and buys it, and with the fruit of her hands, she plants a vineyard. All right, so she is into business. She dresses herself with strength and makes her arms strong. So she's a strong woman. She perceives that her merchandise is profitable. Okay. And her lamp does not go out at night. So she's a late sleeper. She puts her hand to this distaff and her hands hold the spindle. Now, now brothers and sisters, this is a good, strong woman. This is a quality woman. Guys, this is the kind of a woman you want to marry. You don't, you don't want to marry a, a, a shrinking violet that you just hang on the wall like a picture, okay? You don't, want to hang, you don't want to marry a pretty picture. You want to marry a good, strong woman. She knows how to do business. She dresses herself with strength and makes her arms strong. This is a strong woman. She knows how to do business. She has an eye for profit. That is a good woman in Jesus' name. All right, we're going to close out there today. Tonight, we've got our three newest branch pastors from Isabella, Pastor Edrich, from uh, Pastor Sarah from Romblon, and um, Pastor J.R. from Zamboanga. They'll be speaking tonight from churches that you have started.